Today on Blue 58, the Packers had one really good wide receiver in 2019 and one potential superstar on the defensive line. Let's dive into those position groups as our recap continues. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. We've got receivers, we've got defensive line this time around, but before we dive into those two position groups, I want to circle back to the last episode for a second. Uh, I've been keeping an eye on social media, um, everywhere people talk about the podcast, uh, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, whatever, um, as we've gone through these position groups, because included in every one of these is a discussion of some potential free agent options. And I've tried to stay on top of that because I've asked people if there's somebody I missed that you want to talk about that you think the Packers should consider, let me know and we can do some discussion about that because it's a big league out there and we may not get to everybody who could be a good fit for the Packers. Well, after the last episode, a a listener on YouTube said that the Packers shouldn't pursue any free agent tight ends. Instead, they should trade for O.J. Howard, the tight end of the... Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, normally, I think I'm philosophically against the idea of trading for a tight end. It just kind of trades in general. I have a problem with trades as a talent acquisition routes because at least on the higher end of your roster, you end up kind of paying twice for a, a player. You've got to give up the draft capital to get that guy, and then you have to pay them a salary that would be significantly more than you would be able to pay a player that you acquired with that draft pick had you just hung on to it for the draft. But Howard is an interesting case because he is still on his rookie contract, so he's not as expensive. He's also a former first-round pick, so you have the potential for a fifth-year option there. Howard hasn't been like wildly productive, but he has also put up more interesting numbers than any of the current Packers tight end. He's a pretty good athlete. He's got really good size, 6'6", 250 range. If I was Brian Gutekunst and the Buccaneers called and wanted to talk about O.J. Howard this offseason, I wouldn't hang up. I don't know if I'd be calling them and saying, what are you thinking? If they reached out and said, hey, we're looking to move on from O.J. Howard, are you interested? I'd at least have this conversation. If they said, we want a three for him, I wouldn't hang up quickly. If they said, I want a two for him, I might say, you know what, that's probably going to be too rich for us, but... I think there's a conversation to be had there. Again, there's not a lot of reason to think he's available right now, and we're kind of trying to focus on free agents here, but that is a a potential option there, and that is a a name that was floated around at the trade deadline last season. So that is another option. I'm not, again, wildly excited about the idea of trading, but there are some potential options there. Wide receivers. Overall, this group was a big disappointment in 2019, and I don't really know how it could have been much other than that, because the Packers have, in the Brian Gutekunst era, pretty firmly ignored the wide receiver position. You've got a few draft picks there, none in the real early rounds, none in the first 100 picks, and they've kind of just said, yep, we're going to try to figure this out on the fly. Or at least they're hoping their lower-end draft pick wide receivers figure it out on the fly. Well, it hasn't really worked out so far because those guys really haven't developed into even like mid-tier NFL wide receivers yet. Jamon Moore is out of the league. 
Marquez Valdez-Scantling kind of took a step back in 2019, though he did have some injuries, and Equinemius St. Brown obviously had a big injury, didn't play at all in 2019. And outside of that, the Packers haven't really added anybody of consequence on the higher end of that depth chart. Alan Lazard did some climbing, but really it's pretty lonely up there at the top for Devontae Adams. But let's go player by player from least snaps played in 2019 to most. Starting with one Trevor Davis. Remember him? It's okay if you don't. He didn't play very much with the Packers in 2019. He only had one play of note in the entire season. And his season was pretty short because he wasn't here all that long. But he had a 28-yard catch for the Packers all the way back in week one. And I bring that play up because it was interesting for a few reasons. His 28-yarder ended up being one of the Packers' 30 longest receiving plays in 2019. He also, on that play, was tackled by former Packers safety, ha-ha, Clinton Dix. And this play also took place on the drive where the Packers went down to kick the field goal that put them up for good in that game. It wasn't the go-ahead field goal or game-winning field goal or anything like that, but it was a significant amount of points for the Packers in that game. That's pretty weird for a guy who played like two dozen snaps for the Packers in 2019. Playing slightly more than Trevor Davis was Darius Shepard. Remember him? If you don't, that's okay. His most notable play of the season was slipping on a wet field on a damp night against the Lions in like week six, I think it was, and having the ball doink right off his face mask ended up being intercepted by the Detroit Lions. Now, this wasn't 100% his fault. It wasn't a great throw. He should have caught it. He should have stayed on his feet. But that was it for Darius Shepard in Green Bay, at least on the 53-man roster. He hung around on the practice squad for the rest of the season. He kind of had a tough go on of it this year because uh, the real big thing for Shepard was was punt returns. The thinking in, in keeping him over a guy like Alan Lazard was that he was going to be good on special teams. But this is the point of the season where Sean Menenga said he didn't want to double the opposing gunners and basically just let him tee off on his punt returners for more than half the season. Could things have gone differently? Maybe. He at least probably would have gotten a fair shot to return some punts. As it stands, that's just the way it goes. Next on our list is is, uh, Jake Kumaro. He played 328 snaps on offense for the Packers, just about 30%. Ended up with 12 catches for 219 yards and a touchdown. And his one touchdown was a pretty nice one, late in the first half against the Oakland Raiders in that 42-24 romp. I think Jake Kumaro is a nice little player. Would have liked to see more of him as opposed to Geronimo Allison. But also, I think I'm pretty much fine at this point if the Packers choose to move on. He's done some nice things, and maybe he'll do some more nice things if he gets more opportunities. But if we haven't gotten more from him at this point, will we ever? And even if they do, is it really a question of him developing into a better player or just getting more opportunities? And maybe the opportunities thing is a big enough deal that you just want to say, hey, what what's, what's it going to be like if you get 600 snaps instead of 300 or whatever it is. But the point is, I don't see him developing much more as a player. He's in his late 20s already. He's, he's about the same age as Devontae Adams. What more are you going to get out of Jake Kumaro at this point? Probably not all that much. And if the Packers are really looking to upgrade their wide receiver group, he's the sort of guy who may be better off on the outside looking in. 
Next up, Alan Lazard, 479 snaps for the alien lizard man, uh, just over 44%. He finished with 35 catches for 477 yards and three touchdowns and tied for third on the Packers in explosive plays with 11. Even surprising now, and I'm the, com- the guy who compiled all those numbers. He was a nice surprise this season. Kind of weird in retrospect. I think that he wasn't on the initial 53-man roster, and the Packers obviously were really high on Darius Shepard's punt return ability. I think looking forward, Alan Lazard is probably no better than your number three guy in 2020, and that shouldn't be taken as a slight against Alan Lazard. I'm just not sure he's ever going to produce consistently enough to be your number two, even as athletic as he is, and he is a good athlete, even among wide receivers in the NFL, I don't know if he's the the explosive kind of athlete that you really would want opposite Devontae Adams, who's kind of a possession type himself. I think where you want to get a guy like Alan Lazard is on the field as a third or fourth receiver option and put him in situations where he can really physically overwhelm guys. Have him be a big guy in the slot. Have him be a, a guy who gets isolated opposite a bunch formation where you end up with a bunch of defensive backs on one side of the field, Alan Lazard all by his lonesome on the other side against fewer players. In that situation, you can really take advantage of his size. He can do some of the things that Jimmy Graham was supposed to do in Green Bay. But hopefully you've got guys that are a little bit more polished as receivers ahead of him. Either way, he should be back in 2020. And the Packers should do what they can to get him more involved. Because even as a number three or even a legit number four receiver, he should get more opportunities than he did in 2019, at least consistent opportunities. The The box score makes it look like he was playing more than he probably was, but really that was just the result of a, a couple big games towards the end of the season. And of course, there was that Monday nighter against the Lions early on where he, where he kind of had that little coming out party and then he disappeared for a while. Kind of a weird season for him. Get the sense that it wasn't really his fault. Marquez Valdez-Scantling played almost exactly, almost exactly 50% of the snaps for the Packers in 2019. 542. It's fractions of a percent more than uh, 50%. And for his troubles, he ended up with 26 catches for 452 yards and two touchdowns. He had nine explosive plays. Again, that's catches of 16 yards or more on the season, but none after week seven. And none after week seven is a pretty good summary of the 2019 Marquez Valdez-Scantling experience. Because though he ended up with 26 catches for 452 yards and two touchdowns, only five catches, 36 yards, and no touchdowns, happened after week seven. His playing time sort of just dissolved to nothingness as the season went on. And he ended up playing just six total snaps in the playoffs. And on this show, and on the power sweep in general, we we don't really do like negative superlative awards. So like most disappointing is not going to be a thing that we do, at least not regularly. But if we did, I think he would be in contention for 2019. And it's kind of weird if you just look at some of his advanced numbers that he didn't have a better year. He dropped a lower percentage of his passes than he did in 2019. The Packers were working to try to get him deep. His average depth of target jumped more than four yards from 2018 to 2019. But it just wasn't coming together for him. 
And there could be some factors outside his control there. Maybe the the balls coming his direction were not as catchable as they could be. That is certainly something that that could play into his his lack of production. But it just didn't seem like it was coming together for him in 2019. And it was pretty justifiable why he was losing those snaps. And and honestly, it didn't seem like the Packers missed him all that much when he was a non-factor on offense. You would have liked to see more from him, but I think the leash is going to be pretty short heading into 2020. Speaking of leashes, though, a long leash in play for Geronimo Allison in 2020. He, for some befuddling reason, had 638 snaps on offense this year, just a shade under 60%. And for that playing time, he produced 34 catches, 287 yards, and two touchdowns. That is a sparkling 8.4 yards per catch average. For comparison, Richard Rodgers, the famously slow-footed tight end, averaged 9.7 yards per catch in Green Bay. His worst season, his worst season with the Packers, he averaged 8.8 yards per catch. The Packers didn't have just tons of options at wide receiver this season. But I wish they'd have tried someone else. Someone other than Geronimo Allison. Now I should be fair and point out that there were some times this year where he did come up with a few clutch third and fourth down receptions. But on a play-in, play-out basis, it just seems like Alan Lazard or Jake Kumro or even... Marquez Valdez-Scantling would have been better options than Geronimo Allison. And I've, I've never really understood why he, he got the chances that he did again and again and again. Finally, Devontae Adams. Talking about him kind of reminds me of the problem I had talking about Zedarius Smith. He was so good in 2019 that it's barely worth recapping. Sure, he did have a season shortened due to injury but I'm not really sure what else the Packers could have asked of him in 2019. Some stats then. 65% of his catches went for a first down. That is his best, ranging from 2015 to the present. His passer rating when Aaron Rodgers threw to him, though, was down slightly. That's the result of one pass headed his direction being intercepted this year. Still, it was a very, very solid 99.3 this year, which only looks bad because it's down from 108.2 in 2016, 111 even in 17, and 113.4 in 18. Still, pretty darn good number. And my favorite stat about Devontae Adams is that he is not going to turn 28 years old until Christmas Eve of 2020. It's possible that he could still be on the way up as far as his career trajectory. So if the Packers want to upgrade at wide receiver, who are some free agents they could consider? Listener Brad and a few other people have floated Randall Cobb as a potential option for the Packers. Here's what Brad had to say. What do you think about the number of fans who seem to want to go bring Randall Cobb back? I agreed when the Packers let him go because he wasn't quick enough in the slot anymore and was too small for the outside. I think in general, Brad is on the right track here. In theory, it kind of sounds pretty nice to bring Randall Cobb back. The Packers could use a slot receiver. He's obviously a familiar name in Green Bay. He's older, but not old, per se. Seems relatively affordable. In fact, 
I would have been in favor of bringing him back if I knew the contract he was going to get with Dallas were the Packers necessarily strapped for cash to the extent that they couldn't have shelled out what the Cowboys gave him. No. And Matt LaFleur's offense seemed to be in need of a player who could do the things that Randall Cobb can theoretically do. And heck, he can even return punts. That would have helped the Packers in a big way in 2019 until uh, Mr. Irvin came along. But on the other hand, this seems more like just a Madden-type move. Just plugging a guy in play without regard to the overall picture, and the overall picture includes some things that are not necessarily reflected in Madden ratings. Because you can get a, get around some of the numbers that a guy puts up in Madden. And even if the Madden attributes are there, the real-life ones maybe not quite so much, because as we saw in Green Bay, he did seem to wear down a little bit there towards the end of his tenure. And Brad, in his question, did allude to Cobb's apparent diminishing physical gifts, and that part is still true as well. Again, not old per se, but getting older, and that's when those things tend to start becoming a bigger and bigger issue. On top of that, maybe he just ends up staying in Dallas. He may not end up being a free agent option at all. And yet, Randall Cobb was more productive in a new system in Dallas. Packers are running a new system now. Could he still be productive? It's possible. He produced first downs at a higher rate in 2019 than any season dating back to 2015. He also got downfield more in Dallas, too. It may not be the best idea in the world. You may not fix all the Packers' problems. But it may not be the craziest thing either. Two other options at receiver. First, to Jay Sharp. 6'2", 194, played this last season with Tennessee, 25 catches, 329 yards, four touchdowns for a decidedly run-heavy Tennessee Titans team. He, in his relatively short NFL career so far, has never had more than 31 catches or 522 yards in a season. He's got good but not great speed, 4.55 in the 40, but only produced six explosive plays on those 25 catches in 2019. I bring this up because Zach Cruz, whose work I respect a lot at the Packers wire floated this one. I'm not seeing the same thing that he sees here. Maybe maybe it's an option, but I, I'm, I'm not loving it. The one I like a little bit better, but less so when you start talking price tag, is Robbie Anderson of the Jets. 6'3", 190, 52 catches, 100, or 779, five touchdowns in 2019. He produced 17 explosive plays, which would have put him second on the Packers behind only Aaron Jones. He's kind of like Trevor Davis, but good. A kind of long, leggy, lanky guy. Never like crazy good numbers in New York, but he's obviously been limited by quarterback play there as well. The problem is, and I know that we said we were going to try to make these wide receiver segments price agnostic, you can't really look past that when you're talking wide receivers because it seems like if you're if you're walking into the free agent store and you head over the wide receiver section, more than anywhere else in free agency, it seems like you're just going to overpay for wide receivers. That just seems to be the way things go. And are you going to overpay for a guy who's put up good but not great stats even in a limited situation in New York? I think I might just prefer to roll the dice with a first or second round pick at receiver. There's also the option, and this has been floated by several fairly serious people uh, in various forums or on Packers Internet, there's also the option of trading for Robert Woods 
from the Los Angeles Rams. He's six feet tall, even, 195 pounds, had a big year for the Rams this past year. 90 catches, 1,134 yards, and two touchdowns. Big highlight for me with Robert Woods is his 6.8 yards after the catch per catch. Pretty good motor there. He turns 28 years old next month. But overall, I'm not sure I get this one. Not because he's not good, but his cap hit is $9.1 million for 2020. Then he's a free agent after that. And what kind of draft pick are you going to have to give up for a guy who was actually good in 2019? I think you're looking at probably a second or third round pick. And if people were against trading for Emmanuel Sanders for basically that same price tag, I know there was the fifth rounder thrown in there too, uh, but if people were against it for that reason, why is it now okay to trade for Robert Woods? Yeah, he's better than Emmanuel Sanders, but he's also more costly and he's going to be a free agent like Sanders was. Why are you going to trade for a guy who's going to be a rental? He's not looking like a long-term contract type guy for me just because of his age. I'd prefer to keep those draft picks and use them on guys that we're going to be able to control for some more time. Defensive line. This one should be a pretty short one because it's it's hard to really dive into the, the numbers on defensive linemen. Overall, the defensive line group seems once again, like they're one piece away from being a really dominant group. It also seems like they've been about one piece away for like three years now. Kenny Clark's sort of ascension kind of overlapped with Mike Daniels' decline in such a way that neither was ever really at their peak. At the same time, that's just kind of the breaks in the NFL. Can't always get all your guys on the same page at the same time. But as far as the guys who were actually here in 2019, we've got to start with Fadal Brown. Remember him? No, that's fine. Had 17 snaps, didn't really do anything else. He was more exciting in 2018. Kingsley Kiki, though, Packers' fifth-round pick, supposedly very versatile, uh, can play all the positions on the defensive line. Well, he didn't play them very often. He was only on the field for 94 snaps in 2019. Some of those snaps looked pretty good, and supposedly he was a part of 10 tackles and had one quarterback hit last year. I don't know. Don't remember any of them. I thought we'd probably see more of Kingsley Kiki, uh, but that's the way things go with rookies sometimes. He Maybe you just need a redshirt year. He was a little bit on the small side anyway, at least in terms of weight, so maybe in 2020 he'll be a little bit more physically prepared for life in the NFL. One guy who has no excuse, though, is Montrevious Adams. He got all the positive press in the world leading up to training camp, but ended up playing only 187 snaps on the year. Double-digit snaps exactly one time. Week 17 against Detroit. Not great. Especially not great when you consider what Mike Pettin said about him prior to the season. When I first got here, said Pettin, my opinion wasn't real high, and he knows that. We challenged him, and defensive line coach Jerry Montgomery has done an outstanding job with Mon. And Mon has taken the challenge. He came back from the offseason. He lost a bunch of weight by the end of last year. He was playing some quality minutes for us and made some plays. I wouldn't have predicted that. He's a guy we're going to depend on. Judging by how much he played in 2019, I think it's fair to ask Mike Pettin, depend on for what? Exactly. Guarding the Gatorade? Just holding down one end of the bench? 
because he wasn't playing a whole lot, what exactly were you planning on depending on him for? I think that's a fairly fair question. Moving into guys who actually played reasonable snaps, though, we start with Tyler Lancaster. 381 snaps, uh, just a shade over 36% for Lancaster in his second season in the NFL. A nice big rotational piece for the Packers. He didn't take much, as much of a step in his second season as I thought he would, but he still contributed enough when he was out there. You need space eaters in a, in a system where you're not necessarily playing three or four defensive linemen all the time, and he does that. He also had eight tackles for a yard or less against the run to cite that stat that we, uh, we use a lot to kind of gauge run-stopping performance. That was third among defensive linemen behind Dean Lowry and Kenny Clark basically what you'd expect for a guy who's a capable NFL player playing the third most snaps among defensive linemen. Pretty solid season. Uh, I hope he's back, and I hope he can do a little bit more in 2020. Dean Lowry played 637 snaps, 61%, after signing a three-year, $20 million extension in July. And basically, Dean Lowry was the player he's always been for the Packers. Not a big pass rusher, solid against the run, always does his job, is available all the time. He's never been a big pass rusher, but his pressure rate was only slightly lower than the last couple years in 2019. He didn't get any sacks, but he was still moving the quarterback around every now and then. The sacks, though, do look kind of bad, and you would like to have him get at least like a couple every year. It's kind of unfortunate that he wasn't able to do that in, in 2019. But then there's Kenny Clark. Kenny Clark is going to get paid big time. He played 869 snaps, 83% in 2019, and had what I think is his best professional season so far. He had career highs in sacks, well, a, a tie for sacks. He had six, and six in 2018 as well. Uh, he had a career high in tackles for a yard or less against the run, 18 he had a career high in quarterback hurries with 32. He had a career high in quarterback hits with 18. He had a career high in total pressures with 40. He is very good. He's getting better. And I think the Packers are going to pay him a lot of money. And they're going to do it before next season gets started. In fact, I predict that his contract will be done before July 31st, just to put a date on it. I think this is going to get hammered out before the real stuff starts happening in training camp. As far as free agents on the defensive line, this is another one where we're not going to spend time on free agent prospects. Though if there is a guy that you'd like to talk about, by all means, throw his name out there and we'll dig into him a little bit. I think this is another draft upgrade position because defensive linemen need some time to develop. But once they develop, they tend to stick with their teams because rare is the prospect who's big and strong and fast enough to play defensive line in the NFL at a high level for a long time. So guys who ultimately do make it to free agency are either bad or old or bad and old or injured or old and injured or injured and bad or bad, injured, and old. I would rather draft a guy for multiple years of control, even if you do have to draft a guy higher than you might otherwise expect. I think defensive lineman is another position, a lot like edge rusher, where you can't have too many good ones. And the Packers right now don't have enough good ones. So if they have to draft a guy in the second, third, hey, first round, if a guy like Jeffrey Simmons uh, is out there and falling again, maybe you take a shot at him. 
towards the end of the of the first round. He went 19th, but heck, maybe somebody like him could fall. Looking through the available free agents, I even have a hard time finding a guy who's older that I might be interested in kicking the tires on or taking on as a flyer. Nobody really jumps out. But again, if you've got a guy who you want us to talk about, let us know. I'd be more than happy to do so. So I've got for you in this episode. I do appreciate you taking the time to download and listen in. If you like what you heard, leave us a rating and review on iTunes, on the Apple Podcast app, or wherever you're listening. You should be able to do that in most of your apps by now. That does make it easier for more people to find the show. If you want to take your support to the next level and access some content that nobody else can see, donate a dollar per month at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. A dollar per month will get you access to all that content and help support the stuff that you like. If you've got an idea for the show, reach out on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or email. We do appreciate everybody who takes the time to reach out. Every bit of feedback, every thought, every question you ask helps us make this entire operation better, which furthers the mission we have of helping every Packers fan become smarter. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.